Jesus. Amen. And whatever I say you can't find in the scriptures, don't believe a word of it. Okay, first slide, please. Okay, looking at Mark 5. And Mark is trying to, really three things he's trying to get us to consider. Um, first of all, he's going to say, who is this Jesus we keep talking about? And not in an academic way, but come and see. Come and see someone like you've never seen before. Come and see God himself stepping out on earth as a man. And then secondly, what's it like to follow Jesus? What are we talking about? How do you follow someone like Jesus? And what's this faith thing you keep talking about? What does it really consist of? You're telling me to have faith in Jesus. How do I do that? And I think Mark actually answers all three of these wonderfully well. As uh, Dave was saying last week, this bit, the sort of calming of the storm, that's Rembrandt's take on it, um, really belongs in this chapter rather than anything else. The Lord Jesus in a boat goes to sleep and an amazing storm happens. And his disciples, who are fairly seasoned fishermen, they start to get really pretty scared. This is outside their experience. They really don't know what on earth they're going to do. They've really exhausted all the things that they know about, and they come and wake up Jesus. Strange how he's always our last resort in trouble, rather than our first one, isn't it? And uh, he says just a few words. Next slide, please. He says, be silent and be still, or be muzzled, if you like, in Greek. And, well, he didn't say it in Greek, he said in Aramaic, but in your Bible it'll be Greek, and it comes out as be muzzled. And all of a sudden, it went extremely calm. And they had a sort of, what you might literally call an oh my God moment, and saying, who is this? <laughs> the winds and the waves obey this person. And it says, then they were terrified. They were pretty scared before. But what they'd just seen in front of them, they were really, really frightened. Who is this? We've never met this kind of thing before. Who's heard of Katharina von Schlegel? Blank faces. Next slide, please. She wrote a lovely hymn. Uh, called Be Still My Soul, which I'm sure most of you know. It's got a lovely line in it towards the end of the second verse. Be still, my soul. The wind and the waves still know his voice, who stilled them when he dwelt below. You know, you may not want the Lord Jesus to literally speak down a storm, but they still know his voice. He's still in control, even when you think the waters are mighty choppy at the moment, and you're coming way close to where you think you can do and manage. Okay, so that's the backdrop, if you like, to this. And he said, let's go across to the east of Galilee. Next, please. Can't see this too well. Uh, that's the, the sort of homogenous splodge in the top left is the Sea of Galilee. And where the orange arrow is at the bottom, you see that Gadara is about five miles inland, whereas Gergesa is up on the east coast, and we think it's the latter where this actually happened, even though some versions say the Gadarenes. In fact, we think the Gerasenes is a bit more to the point. What does it look like there? Next slide, please. It looks a bit like that as you come off the boat. Yes, those are tombs up there on the hillside, by the way. Rather dry, arid 
uh, countryside. Next, please. And you get off the boat, and it looks quite nice, almost beautiful, really, there. And Jesus steps off the boat. Next, please. And the darkness explodes in his face. And um, Jesus doesn't give an inch. He just stands there and says, go, come out of this man. Now, I don't know whether you've ever had someone cursing and swearing in church. Um, It's difficult. I remember being in Cardiff at a Christian Union meeting when that exactly happened. And one of the girls who was on the door stepped across in front of him and said, in the name of Jesus, stop it. And he went quiet, turned around and walked out. All right, And she'd been a Christian for about six weeks. This is about the Holy Spirit. It's not about us. All right, Jesus is Lord of the demons too. You might think, oh, Mark, you've lost it. You're a senior doctor. <laughs> You're talking about demons. Now, you know, people do self-harm in mental illness, you know. And there's this thing called psychosis, you know, and you're talking about demons. Yes, I am. Um, Most people who self-harm or are psychotic, needless to say, are not demon-oppressed or anything like it. Although um, Satan's pretty happy at human suffering. But if you are, how do you know? Well, I'm not saying you do easily, but certainly what the reaction is to the name of Jesus is a pretty good guide. I remember when I was a youngster, we used to go and visit people in a long-stay mental hospital. First time we went, um, they were sort of sat in a big lounge, and uh, I don't think they'd been told even that we were coming. And the idea was just to sort of comfort them and befriend them. There might be a chance to talk about the Lord Jesus. As we went through the door, a lady shouted from the other end, I know you, you are, you're Christians. What are you doing here? remember thinking, ooh, that's a bit different. If you look at the news, you might almost say it's easier to believe in supernatural evil than just to believe in supernatural good. But praise God, it's not really like that. God is God, and he's in charge, and he's Lord of the demons as well. And they back down in the presence of the name of Jesus. So don't you be afraid. That suddenly explodes in your face. There's no need for you to back down. You use the name of Jesus. You ask God to help you and say, go, in the name of Jesus. They're not afraid of you, but the Holy Spirit in you terrifies them. Jesus is Lord over the darkness. Okay, next slide, please. Sorry, you can't see him. Anyway, a little local difficulty. The uh, people round about knew all about him. They've tried to sort of uh, put him in chains. That's the nicest thing they'd done for him. And they were thoroughly embarrassed, but he stayed partly out of their way in the tombs and this kind of thing. They just got on with their lives. That's what people do, isn't it? And the Lord Jesus, on the other hand, um, he could easily have walked past this guy and said, well, I think I ought to go and talk to the city talk to as many people as I can, but not at all. Next, please. Jesus is the light of the world. Darkness doesn't overcome this light. Light is aggressive to darkness. I don't know whether you've been in a dark room and someone's lit a candle or a match suddenly. Everyone's eyes swivels towards it. Light is aggressive to darkness. And here's the Lord Jesus standing in front of darkness. And he's life 
and he's light and he's not going anywhere. And the demons, as you know, they put up a sort of feeble resistance. It doesn't last long, it doesn't last five minutes really. And they say, there's pigs up there on the hill, 2,000 of them. Can we go into those instead? Unclean animals. Sort of seems appropriate really, doesn't it? Next slide, please. Now, the Jews weren't supposed to be cultivating pigs because they're unclean animals. They weren't supposed to eat them. They weren't supposed to sell them and this kind of thing. They were ritually unclean to them. But they were a nice little earner. Not right, but a nice little earner. That sounds a bit modern, doesn't it? 2,000 pigs over a cliff. Caught carcasses in the water there. Can you imagine the scene? And the swineherd goes, runs away and goes and finds the people of the city. Next, please. And they all come down and they see this man being possessed by a legion of demons sitting there, clothed, rational, talking to them in, their right, in his right mind. Do they celebrate? No. This is not the day the man was made clean. This to them is the day they lost their pigs. Okay. And they say, they're, fr they're frightened. Seen a display of raw spiritual power. And they say to Jesus, would you go away please? Next please. We don't need this. We're okay, thank you. We don't want you. We want our pigs back. Grim, isn't it? But do you know something? The majority of people around about us would sooner have their prosperity than the Lord Jesus Christ. This is not as surprising as it might originally seem. Next slide, please. I remember there was a guy called Francis Schaeffer. Do you remember him? Those of you of a certain age will remember that he was a sort of philosopher Christian when we were at university and growing up and this kind of thing. And being a philosopher, he was somewhat wordy, as philosophers do tend to be. But he did come out with some gems. And he was in a discussion once where he said, what are Western values? They said, well, human rights, democracy, the rule of law, due process, free speech, all this stuff. He said, no, 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 no. These are not really your values at all. These are your values personal peace at any price and affluence actually not a lot's changed has it since the time of this man in the Gadarenes leave us alone we want to be prosperous we want to be peaceful and we don't like our world being bucked extraordinary isn't it next slide please and the man who's just been healed looks at Jesus and then looks at them in despair and says, Jesus, let me come with you. There's nothing for me here. Are you surprised that Jesus turns him down? He suddenly said, he says, no, no. Go home to your family. Tell them how much the Lord's done for you. You know, Jesus is so full of compassion for these people who just said they want their pigs rather than him, that he's going to send them a living, breathing prophet, this man, Every time they see him, even if he says very little, they'll remember, look, do you remember? And now here he is. Can't be gainsaid. When you go to work, you might think it's difficult to open my mouth for the Lord Jesus. Just by being there, 
when people can see the likeness to Jesus that's certainly in you and that we can see in you without too much difficulty, even if you have a hard time sometimes seeing it yourself. So the man went away into the Decapolis. It's these ten uh, towns and their, and their surroundings. He, he really didn't just go home to his people. He went to that lot, all of them. And everyone was absolutely amazed. Next slide, please. The Lord Jesus puts a high premium on confession of faith. Do you remember it says in Romans, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Part of faith is being open about it. And part of what God wants us to do is just to simply say what God has done for us, both by the way we live and what we say. It's a big thing. Okay, it's a big thing. Next, please. And then you remember the next one. Jesus crossed over by boat. They asked him to go away, and he did. A large crowd gathered round him again, and one of the synagogue rulers, Jairus, came. And it says in one of the other Gospels, ran to the Lord Jesus. Now, synagogue rulers do not run, okay? You are dignified, and you take your time. But this guy didn't. He comes to Jesus in all his finery and throws himself at Jesus' feet. I don't know whether you've ever had a sick kid. I mean, so sick that you thought, this child might die. This child might die. And a sort of sick feeling in your stomach. It's difficult to describe unless you've actually been there. And here he is. And all he wants in the world is his little girl healed. And he says to Jesus, just come, will you, and stop my daughter dying. And Jesus gets up and goes with him immediately, effectively saying, yes, I will. And a huge crowd presses around him. Next, please. And then we get the lady with the medical bills. Be kind to us doctors. We'll all be out of a job in heaven. There'll be no one so useless as a physician in glory. We will all have to retrain. But they hadn't done this lady any favors. And... Unlike the uh, synagogue ruler, who actually, um, you know, was a respectable man, this lady wouldn't have been allowed in the synagogue because of her problem. The little girl who Jesus was about to heal was 12 years old, and this lady had been ill for 12 years. And, you know, Mark is contrasting the two. Along comes Jairus, makes a big fuss, throws himself at the foot of Jesus. This lady tries not to be seen at all and just stretches out a hand. Next, please. Do you want to... Oh, sorry, can you go back, please? Can you just press the right onwards button? There you are. Cheers. What is faith? Here's a pretty good description. It's an empty hand stretched out to God, believing in God. If you've got something in your hand as you stretch it out, you haven't really got the point. We don't have things to offer God. Now, I don't know if you, some, I won't say branches of Christianity, but some people as they're preaching might give the idea that actually being good as a person is how you get to heaven. And it actually isn't what the Bible says at all. What the Bible says is, do you know something? Look at each other and you think, well, I'm not too bad. I'm as good as him and him, but perhaps not as her, and so on. And I said, no, no, you're comparing yourself to God. And then you begin to see that you fall short 
And God knows that. Does he turn away in disgust? No, he's, he loves and he loves and he loves. And he sent Jesus so that your sin could be taken away. How do you approach Jesus? You do so with faith. You stretch out an empty hand. Do you remember there's a lovely hymn, we don't sing it very more, much more these days, called Rock of Ages. It's got a couple lines in there. It says, nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Naked, come to thee for dress. Helpless, look to thee for grace. That's what faith is like. It's coming with empty hands, believing that God's not only willing but able and has promised to receive people who come to him like that. And God notices. You notice he'd been jostled as he went along the little tiny lane. And um, they said to him, he must be joking. How can you ask who touched you? Well, Jesus notices faith, believe me. And he notices it as if you're the only person in the world. And that's exactly what it looked like to this lady. Next, please. People often say, well, I don't know, my faith's not all that strong, really. My grasp of Jesus, weak. That's not the point, would you believe? It's not great faith that saves you, as they say. It's faith in a great saviour. Have you any idea who it is you're touching when you reach out in faith? This is God the Son we're talking about. Okay? This lady had enough faith to see that. I stay hidden. I just try and touch the tassel of his prayer shawl is probably what she meant. Uh, and I'll be healed. That's all I've got to do. Not because I've got some big grip on Jesus, but rather he's wonderful. And he can do anything. And I trust that. I just need to touch the hem of his garment. And Jesus notices. Next, please. And Jesus gently encouraged her to go public with her faith. She wanted a hide, didn't she? And, but she couldn't. And he turned around and said, who touched me? And he just stood there. And she comes out of the woodwork and come and kneels in front of him. And he calls her a daughter of Abraham on account of her faith. Jesus wants you to confess him. As you come to faith and in your everyday life with him. Faith isn't just something that's in your heart. It's something visible too. It's like someone who is living in a way that makes no sense unless there's a God. Someone living in a way which is pointless unless Jesus really is. Next, please. So what's this thing called faith? Well, some of you may have come across the acrostic, forsaking all, I trust him. It's pretty good. Just like grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. Basically, next please, it's believing and trusting God. That's what it is. It's not an airy, fairy thing. It's got an object. Next, please. Yeah, thanks. Believing and trusting God. It's got an object. It's about a person. So people who say in an airy, fairy way, I have faith, and you say in what? And sometimes, sadly, they'll say something like, oh, the future or the goodness of people. These are mighty, slippery concepts. I don't know why they find that easier to believe in than trusting Jesus, who is certainly not. Can you look into the future? Won't you have to look at the paper and say, I have faith in the future? Takes a lot of faith, that, doesn't it? Rather more, in fact, than a biblical Christian saying, I've not got much faith in this world, but I do love God and I trust him.
I really, really do. Next, please. Does that mean everything will go your way? Well, no. Do you remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? And uh, before King, a bit of a megalomaniac who made a huge golden image of himself and said, all of you guys, my servants, are going to bow down to this image. And if you don't, I have a rather warm place for you. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, three servants of God, they said to him, well, we know that you have the capability to throw us into a furnace. God can deliver us from it, and he will. But even if he doesn't get a load of this, we love him. We will not serve you in this way. We will not put anyone in God's place. How's that? And they got thrown into a furnace, and God did save them, as you know. Amazing. That's the sort of faith. I know God. I know he's able to do this and that. Whether or not he heals me, whether or not he does this or that for me, I will be with him. That's what biblical faith is really all about. Next, please. And while he was still speaking, some people came from Jairus' house. Your daughter's dead. Can you imagine? Must have hit him like a ton of bricks. Jesus, why did you stop for that woman? It's a little bit like uh, Mary at Lazarus' tomb, didn't he? Saying, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't be dead. Remember Jesus said to her, I'm the resurrection and the life, he who believes in me. Though he die, yet will he live. Do you believe this? And Martha comes up with, well, I know he'll rise at the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus says, what about now? Okay. God's not in a hurry. Why is he not in a hurry? Because he's who he is and because he's able to do more than we can ask and more than we can think. So Jesus just reaches out and steadies Jairus' faith and says wonderful words. He says, don't be afraid. Just trust. Just believe. Okay. How many times does do not be afraid come in the scriptures, do you know? 366 just for a leap year as well. You don't actually have to be afraid. Why couldn't this world get scary? Yes, of course it can. Can't dreadful things happen to good people? Oh, yes, it can. Do you need to be afraid? No, because God is Lord of all these things. His perspective may be very different to ours. And I have no easy answers when tragedies happen. They're some of the most difficult things to explain to unbelievers, aren't they? When you've got to say, I don't know why this happened. I don't know why God let that person die. I don't know why you still have that illness, and so on and so forth. But I do believe that God is able. Anyway, he reaches out and steadies him. He says, don't be afraid, just believe. Next, please. This is a lovely verse, don't be afraid, just believe. You want to have it tattooed on your chest? Or something like that, or stick it up in your house, we could do with it. Spurgeon has a lovely way of putting it. He says it's as if the bedding plants in your garden are don't be afraid, and they grow like fury, and they're everywhere, and they poke through all the other flowers. God knows what we're like. He knows. You know, someone said worry is an abuse of God's gift of imagination, and yes, I think it is. 
But I think, you know, we need to bring even our imagination under the lordship of Christ and say, that's okay, I can imagine and I can worry maybe, but I trust Jesus. Next one, please. Have you seen people die? It's been my privilege. I've seen many, many, many people die. As I've said before, what do you call a doctor who loses 13.7% of his inpatients? He's a geriatrician. A good death is good medicine, and it's a privilege to be alongside some people as they're dying. Sometimes Christians go a little over the top, and they portray death as something that's nothing. It isn't. But it's utterly different for a believer. The parting is not easy, but it's not hopeless. And it's the hopelessness that faith in Christ takes out of death. There may be many things that are difficult, but the hopelessness isn't there. It's very difficult to comfort a person with no faith at all. It really, really is. To actually have to say to them, well, think of all the good times and all that kind of thing. And that's it. There isn't much more you can say. You've got more to say of your believer. You're saying, I'll tell you something. There's more to this life. And what's more, God sees the longer term and he sees wider pictures than you do. And he sees things in their real context. We're so earthbound, aren't we? We can only see things rather limited because that's where we live and have our being and we see spiritual things really rather dimly. The Lord Jesus, can he raise the dead? Oh, yes, he can. Does he do it all the time? No. Why is that? You'll have to ask him, I guess. Turn over, please. For these people, wonderful. Talitha Koum, why does it put the words in? Well, I guess you'd remember the words that raised the dead, wouldn't you? And the message actually translates correctly here. The people were beside themselves with joy. He uses the same word about Jairus when he came to Jesus, that he was beside himself with grief and so on. And the Lord Jesus has turned this all round for him. Next, please. You might think, okay, well, does Jesus know then if he can do that and can just make people alive again? How does he feel about his saints who leave this world in the usual way? Well, do you remember when Jesus was at the tomb of Lazarus, he did a strange thing. He actually wept at Lazarus' tomb. And you think, well, what on earth for? He's just about to raise him from the dead. I'll tell you why. Our grief is something that's precious to God. He really cares about it. He's prepared the Lord of glory to come and weep with you. And it's a perfectly normal thing for a believer to do, as well as an unbeliever. Okay? And what's more, I'm sure the Lord Jesus looked at this and thought, this is not how it was supposed to be. It isn't. This is a fallen world, and there's grief in the world that won't be in glory. You know, it might seem a little bit like this in glory, some of the nice things, but an awful lot of things will be missing. Doctors for one. Next, please. Do you remember when he did raise Lazarus? He actually said to Mary, do you believe this? She was a choice believer, wasn't she? And he actually said, 
I'm the resurrection of the life. Death may be some of the hardest things we ever confront, but I tell you this, I'm the resurrection and the life. And he who believes on me, though he die, yet shall he live. Do you believe this? I don't know how well you do. The more you see people die, the more I think there's nothing else but God that these people need. There's nothing else you can comfort them with than with the presence of God. Okay? This is not how it was supposed to be, no, in the world. It's one of the, well, the Bible says, doesn't it, the last enemy that will be destroyed is death, but it is going. Next, please. I was over in um, Washington uh, last year, and I was passing Arlington National Cemetery, and there was a slow stream of grim-faced young ladies coming out, a few with small children in tow. What can you say to them? Pretty hard, isn't it? One thing you certainly can tell them about is something that goes way beyond death. You can comfort them with words from this world, but they need comfort with words, words from another world. Next, please. What is faith? It's belief and trust in God. It's putting your weight on God's promises and finding that, yes, they do bear your weight. It means coming to and having personal dealings with the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's all shot through with worship, adoration, and commitment. And it can stare down what? The demonic? Sickness, storms, and death itself. This is what biblical faith is like. Because the Lord Jesus is Lord of all these things. Why are we not afraid? Well, not because we have got some sort of bravado. We're flesh and blood. And we're weak creatures. And we can be destabilized by something suddenly knocking us over. You know that. But we can have faith in God. And we can trust the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's Lord of the demonic. Don't be afraid. The Holy Spirit in you terrifies them. Sickness, he may or may not take it away. But at least pray. As John Wimber used to say... I don't know how many people that I pray for actually get healed, but I'm pretty sure I know how many would be if I didn't pray for them. So pray. Take your things to God. Take your grief. Take your difficulty. Take even the difficulty that's coming at you from outside. God is able to stand with you, maybe to take the whole thing away, maybe to give you power just to stand and other people look at you and say, I don't know how you do that. And you can say, let me tell you about my Savior. It does make a fantastic difference. Next one, please. The Lord Jesus left us a legacy, didn't he? He said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I don't give to you like the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. One of the last things he said to his disciples um, at the Lord's Supper that is recorded for us in the scriptures. Peace is not necessarily the absence of trouble. Peace is the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. It makes all the difference in the world. You can be peaceful in the midst of an awful lot of trouble and you can be in some turmoil in the absence of external trouble. But you can be with Jesus, whatever you're like. Not just to steady you, but to be with you forever. The one person who's never going to leave you and walk out on you or die on you is the Lord Jesus Christ. 
and he is wonderful. Thank you.